You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Grant Sabatier. I'm J.D. Roth, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I know what burnout is. I experienced it after almost 20 years of suffering the indignities of a high-stress workplace. My savior, my escape hatch, was the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. It gave me the vocabulary and the financial power to leave an ungratifying career. I was elated. So elated, in fact, that I dove headfirst into a financial blog and eventually a podcast. One year, two years, three years. And then guess what happened? I didn't want to talk about money anymore. I stopped caring about Roth IRAs or three fund portfolios. I became burned out again. But this time, this time I was burned out on money. J.D. Roth is the founder and editor of the personal finance blog, GetRichSlowly.org, and the author of Your Money, The Missing Manual. Grant Sabatier is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Freedom, and founded the personal finance website, Millennial Money, and co-founded BankBonus.com. J.D. and Grant, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Grant, I'm going to start with you here. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I think this is really the question of the episode, but I wanted to pose it in the beginning. Grant, is there such thing as money burnout? Yeah, I think we go through different phases in our life where our relationship to life and, of course, money changes. And I think the work that we all do on this podcast and that our listeners do and readers do is that we realize that time is more valuable than money. And we realize that money also is a tool that has incredible transformative potential in terms of what freedom it can create in our lives and how it can help us grow and expand as humans. And I say that to set up the idea that I feel like now at the age of 38, I've lived three or four lifetimes and had three or four different relationships with money. And I feel very grateful for that. And it's like a lot of things in life where we put our time, where we put our energy, you know, truth grows from that. And I say that to the lens of, I think now where I'm at in my life, my relationship with money is, is so open and so expansive it's beyond anything that I could have ever imagined, but certainly I couldn't have gotten here without spending so much time thinking through this and working on myself and doing a lot of the work that for many years that I put off. And so, yes, you can certainly get burnt out by money, but I think when you get burnt out, it's time to 
once again, take a break, reassess, open yourself to the world and new experiences and new things and, and, and let life come at you in a way and be a receiver of it and surrender to it. So then you can come back to it fresh or in a new form. And I think that's the exciting thing about where I'm at is that, you know, I feel like I'm in the fourth lifetime and because I've had the experience that I've had, I don't have the same baggage that I used to bring to the conversation or the same anxieties that I used to bring to the conversation because those no longer exist in me. So there's a real purity of expression in what I'm creating and building that feels exciting. Grant, you said something, and you know this already. One of my favorite parts of your book, Financial Freedom, is when you talk about the fact that time is more valuable than money. This is a concept. I know that it's discussed widely in the personal finance circles, and there's some argument about it. But reading your book and reading what you have to say about this and reading other books uh, related to this idea, I've really come to believe it. 2022 was a very interesting year for me in that I had two people that were very close to me die. My cousin died at a very young age, and I got to see... I mean, he ran out of time. That's what it it amounted to. And I got to see in a very real way that for him, he would have traded his money. I would have traded my money to have more time for him. And there's there's this interrelationship between time and money. And so for me, what I'm doing now going coming into 2023 is making decisions where I'm like, I want to spend my efforts, my energy making my time, using my time in quality ways. And money's still important because it's a physical representation of the time, of course. But I want to focus more on enjoying quality time and using the time to better myself instead of focusing on the money. Grant, when JD talks about some of the things he's learned about losing his family members and friends and to add on to what you were saying about kind of these different seasons of your life you go through with money, it sounds very much like this is an evolution. Is money burnout almost a necessary part of that evolution? I mean, do we need to become dissatisfied at some level with our concentration on money and bolstering our finances and getting to financial independence? Is it kind of necessary that we get tired of it at some point in our evolution? I think when you grow in your life, there's always going to be friction and there's always going to be some form of suffering and exhaustion and burnout. And what that is, is it's really when you're pushing your own limit and taking the time to reset your own limits in your life. And so, you know, it's one of these things I started writing my newsletter again, and I have a newsletter coming out tomorrow actually, which is about, you know, how do you set the limits of freedom in your life? And, What does that mean? And I feel like we have this real obsession in our pursuit of financial independence of getting more freedom in our life. And then we get some of it and it feels really good and exciting. And it's like you're a kid in the candy store and you just eat it up and you take off a few months and you get in your RV and you travel around in the country or you become a full-time traveler. And then you kind of like, you know, eat too much of that. And you're like, gosh, you know, <laughs> like, like someone like, you know, Brandon at mad scientist, he's like, you know, I just got tired of traveling. You know, I just wanted to be home. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, we get to that phase of our life. We're like, okay, just because we can do it 
doesn't mean that we have to, or doesn't mean that we should right now. And, you know, for me, no matter who you are, when you have more money than you'll ever need, you're going to go through some form of crisis and some form of flailing. My dad just retired, you know, six months ago and he's in this process and it's uncomfortable and that's normal. If you're not feeling uncomfortable, it's kind of like you, you might've, you should probably should have continued working or your, I mean, great. You're, you're one of the, the very, very small few who's not uncomfortable. And I think there's just natural progressions in our life where, you know, sitting and being uncomfortable for a while means you're, you're in the right place, right? It's, it's part of the process. It's part of the journey for some people that's going to take six months after reaching financial independence. For me, it took a couple of years. I think some people get really anxious during that process and then dive into something. They go back to the safety zone, you know, what they were doing before, or they dive into that's something me. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pre- prematurely, but that's all, that's all normal. I mean, that's, you know, when you're feeling antsy and, and something's keeping you up at night, you know, there, there's truth there. There's meaning there. That's, that's a, that means something's happening in your life. Yeah. There, there's, there can be this real existential crisis once you reach financial independence or you retire early trying to figure out, okay, what do you do next? Just before this call, uh, I had a call with Mindy Jensen uh, from bigger pockets we were talking about some of these same things because she's thinking about some of this stuff. Uh, her husband, Carl from 1500 days is also thinking about some of this stuff and trying to figure out, okay, what is next? Yeah. For me, you know, uh, with get rich solely, uh, I sold that site in 2009, uh, could have walked away. It took me a few years to actually get up the guts to walk away. So in 2012, I stopped doing any kind of work and I spent a few years just working on myself just focusing on improving my physical and mental health. And honestly, that period from 2012 to say 2016, those four years, uh, that was peak JD. That was <laughs> that was when I was happiest. That is when I was most fulfilled. It's when I was a, the best friend to my friends. And I just felt on top of my game. And then the opportunity came to buy Get Rich Solely back. And so I did. I thought, oh, yeah, this will be great. I've had all this time off. I'm reinvigorated. Uh, but the reality is for uh, four or five years now, I've struggled to find the groove again. And it's because I'm trying to force a square peg into a round hole. And I'm not the same person who started Get Rich Solely or who ran it as a business. And so for me, I finally come to the decision that it is time to walk away and not focus on writing and thinking about money all of the time. I, I'm ready to do other things. And I want to return to that JD, peak JD from 2012 to 2016. And I want to pursue that. So it, it's just, it's interesting that I feel like this is Mr. Money Mustache calls what we're doing right now, crazy rich person talk. And <laughs> as I'm listening to his talk, it does sound like crazy rich person talk. Not everyone can have these kind of conversations, but I, I think maybe for some of your audience, it'll be interesting for them to hear that, you know, money doesn't solve all the problems necessarily. You've still got to figure out what you're going to do with your life and how you're going to find meaning and happiness. I think it just creates other problems. They're just a different, a different form of problem. I think one of the things JD that I love about you is just how curious you are. And I think people who are naturally curious can fill their time with other things, whether it's you know, movies or comic books, or, you know, I always 
am, am delighted. I'll say there, there's a little bit of delight that I get when I see your Facebook post about like, here's the 150 movies I watched and I ranked them, <laughs> and them and that, you know, but that, that shows like real interest, right. And real curiosity and passion. And so y- you have to fill your time with something. And if you don't mm-hmm. choose to be intentional about it, time's just going to kind of wither away. And I think there, there's, a, there's, there's kind of a, a framework here, I think, that you could extract from a conversation like this, which is something like, you know, where do you live? You know, I know, JD, you moved to a new location that seems like you really love where you moved. You know, mm-hmm. who do you surround yourself with? And then, you know, do you have some form of a creative outlet, whether that's the content that you're creating or the content that you're consuming or some balance of both? And then there's kind of that fourth category, which is, is there space for mystery and uncertainty and unknown in your life? And that means, you know, you're open to new experiences and things. So you're, you're, you're tapping into that level of consciousness without shutting yourself off. And I think a lot of people, especially people interested in money and financial independence and life optimization, you know, we're always looking for that quick fix or we're looking for that, like, you know, to JD's point, you know, just perhaps that that round peg in that round hole. And then if we don't find it, we immediately question what's wrong with us when in reality, it's more like kind of what's wrong with the world that we have to have a level of irrational uncertainty um, to, to, to feel okay, right? And I think that's the paradox of money is that it does give you all this infinite potential, but what it does is really just put a much larger magnifying glass on those things in your life that you really should be focusing on. And when you have enough money, you can no longer make that excuse. Yeah. Um, and it and forces I'll, you to become self-directed because I, I feel like a lot of right. times when you're out in the world, you just, you do what you're supposed to do. Like when you have mm-hmm. it, but once you have enough money, it's no longer the world telling you what you're supposed to do. You got to yeah. figure it out for yourself. Yeah. It's so easy to accept the limit that life puts on you. And that's why I think people, you know, I wrote this line the other day. It's like why people get, you know, uncomfortably comfortable. It's it's why they get in this scenario where even though they don't feel that great, not feeling great is a familiar, familiar enough feeling for them that they, yeah, that they'd rather sit in it. And it's always just easier to accept life's limits. And that's why people, even when they feel bad, just keep pursuing a much more predictable path. And it's the getting comfortable with uncertainty and unpredictability, which I think coming out of the pandemic, I remain hopeful that people, because of such a jarring experience, realize that nothing is guaranteed and there's a lot happening in our world very quickly. And so perhaps people are naturally going to be a little bit more adaptable to change. I think as a culture, we, we are. And that's and also because messages like the, you know, the fire message continue to spread. But there is this you know, level of, you know, we're always going to be uncomfortable with uncertainty. That's like the only, you know, that's the only certainty in life, right, is uncertainty. And so the better you are at being comfortable within that, the the more you're going to thrive and the more opportunities for growth. And I say growth, last thing with the asterisk of, I think in our sort of quantified self world that we live in, we're always looking at this idea that somehow we have to improve or we have to get better when in reality, often so much of what we seek, we already have. And so much of what we want, we already have. 
And all we're doing is creating unnecessary levels of anxiety by either comparing ourselves to others or mapping on a level of improvement. Yeah, exactly. That we feel that we feel, you know, for some reason we we need to adhere to. And real freedom, real, real freedom happens in your life when you no longer are beholden to those forces and you're not holding on really to anything but the things right in front of you and the people around you and, you know, meaning and truth really blossom in that environment. But that, whether it's getting older, having enough money, that just, that takes work. That takes work to do. It's it's no surprise to me, Grant, that the things you're saying, they sound a lot like Eastern philosophy. So the podcast listeners can't see it, but I held up, I have a copy on my desk of Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching uh, that I've been reading recently. And, uh, I've read this book many times in my life and it always just seemed opaque, but for some reason it really speaks to me right now. And I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm, I'm getting the message and it's, I mean, it's thousands of years old. And yet a lot of what's being said in the Tao Te Ching echoes, or maybe Grant echoes it in the importance of uh, removing ambition. It, 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 the important when I say important, in order to find happiness, it says that it's often best to remove ambition and to learn to enjoy what you have. So we talk about this a lot in uh, financial independent circles and in personal finance that desire, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but but it leads to consumerism. It, it leads to this hedonic treadmill where you're never satisfied with what you have. And so look, taking the time to enjoy the things that you already have in your life, kind of accept your situation, I think is very important. And I, this is especially true for me. You both know I've struggled with my uh, depression and anxiety in recent years. And a large part of that is because I've allowed myself to always be wishing that I had something different or to focus on the things that I've done wrong in the past. Part of my journey over the past few months has been learning to love who I am and just say, hey, you know, this is where I am in life. And it doesn't matter what has come before. I don't need to focus on the future. Let's just enjoy the present moment and do what I can with this time. My favorite quote from that book is, need little, want less, be untroubled. I think that encapsulates the, the philosophy for me of that book. JD, it's kind of interesting because we're talking about this kind of need to improve and actually how that can cause stress in your life. But when I look at the Facebook post that generated this episode idea for me, I'm not getting burned out about money. You said I'm getting tired of writing about money. Yes. So I'm, I'm wondering too, how much of this is creator burnout? And I think it relates to this idea of always improving because I think people like us, the three of us on this call, we also have this profound need to create. And I think mm-hmm. how much of this is a money issue versus kind of a creation issue? It, you're, th- th- this is a fascinating question because this is the stuff I've been thinking about for the past six to nine months. Uh, creator burnout, social media burnout, internet burnout. I think it's all related. So I'm sure that creators have been burning out since time began. But for me, I think a lot of what's going on here is the fact that I'm creating and publishing in a public space. If I were just creating for myself at home, different different thing. But 
I feel as if our modern world where we're constantly putting ourselves out there, posting on social media, Instagram, Twitter, publishing on blogs, YouTube, all that, it opens us to the judgment of others. And as much as we might understand that it's important not to be taken in by the judgment of others or to put too much credence into the judgment of others, because other people are just projecting, right? When when they're when they're criticizing you, it's often in fall, it's more to do with them than it is to do with you. But it doesn't matter. You, you put yourself out there and whether you're being judged positively or negatively, you still feel like you're being judged. And it there's this weight that really can weigh down on you as a creator in this environment. And it there's a, a psychic toll that all of this takes. When I've written or talked a lot about this book since I first read it in, over Thanksgiving, but I've read a book recently called The Courage to Be Disliked. Uh, it's by Ichiro Kishimi. I've actually read it four times since Thanksgiving because it's had that much of an impact on my life. And, and The Courage to Be Disliked is... Uh, the author takes the ideas of uh, psychologist Alfred Adler, who was a contemporary of Freud and Jung. He puts them in sort of a Socratic dialogue. There's a, a young student going to this old wise guy and they talk back and forth. And the whole point is uh, of the book is that freedom comes when you don't care what other people think and you just do what is true to yourself. And to me, that might seem obvious to some people, but to me, that's a profound message and it's very difficult to implement in my life because for so long now I've been putting myself out there on the internet listening to what people say about my work and if they're positive I try to pursue more of what they're saying what they like and if it's negative I I internalize it and then I try to do less and anyway all of this is related to the Tao Te Ching it just all ties together and I've been thinking about all these things in my life about where do I go next Grant, as, as JD talks, I'm thinking a lot about your journey too. I mean, you were at this point with financial freedom, you wrote the book, you did a book tour, and you got to a point where you had so much input on your work. And I feel like that led for you to a time where you needed some downtime and to get away. Yeah, I feel like I didn't sleep much for 10 years. You know, I pursued financial independence, reached financial independence. And then had so much energy, I turned that into writing about it and creating about it and sharing it with others. And so there was a real, I think, deep desire in me to be heard and to be seen. You know, to JD's point, until 2015, I'd never posted a single thing online. You know, I was one of the first 20,000 users on Facebook when it came to my school, University of Chicago. You know, I've had a laptop computer since I was seven years old. So my entire life has pretty much occurred on the internet, but I never felt like I really had anything to say. And then when I felt like I had something to say, I wanted as many people as possible to hear it. And there was a level of real exhaustion in that pursuit. And then once I started getting back reactions. The negative reactions have always been there, but they have never really bothered me because the message is so pure in my own life that if someone's going to hate on it and I don't really care. But once I started getting the positive feedback from all over the world, that filled me with a level of joy that 
was so overwhelming that now, even years later, I still haven't fully, you know, processed it. But really, I felt seen and I felt heard. And that led to a level of peace in my life where I didn't feel like I needed to be heard or be seen again. It's like that cup had been filled or that box had been checked. Nice. And that that really led to a lot of, I think, my kind of, let's say, ego or super ego starting to dissolve because whatever it was seeking, it now had in the form of love and connection. And, you know, I'm a very introverted, very, very, you know, sort of quiet person just sitting in my room thinking and writing and just to be seen in that way and to add value to someone's life in that way gave my life a level of value that, that I never thought would have been possible. And so that's, that's a very exhausting, you know, process. A lot, a lot happened. And now that I'm in a phase where I'm working on my second and third book, because I've had that success, I'm much freer in, in, in the content that I'm creating and just feel very grateful for the opportunity to serve this audience. And because people are listening, I feel the responsibility to create and that motivates me and inspires me. And I also feel the weight of time as I get more gray in my beard, you know, and get a little bit older where having the ability and the opportunity to create and the audience to create, you know, the 25 year old would be so amazed at what's been, set up here and the opportunity here. And so I do some of this work in honor of him, in honor of the person I invested in becoming, as well as, you know, the people who are still struggling and hurting in the hopes that sharing something that I've gone through and seen and learned can help them in some way. I, I don't know where that impulse comes from in me. I really, I really don't, but it's there. And so I continue to honor it and really feel like I'm at my creative peak in a lot of ways. And so I don't know how long that's going to last, but I hope it lasts through a couple of books because I'm really deep in it and want to, want to, you know, make, take, you know, take advantage of, of this time, not knowing how long, you know, I'll have this sort of capacity, you know, or this opportunity. We are talking to J.D. Roth. He is the founder and editor of the personal finance blog, Get Rich Slowly, and Grant Sabatier, who is the owner and creator of Millennial Money. And we are talking about not only money, but also creator burnout. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are back with J.D. Roth, who is the founder and editor of GetRichSlowly.org and the author of Your Money, The Missing Manual, as well as Grant Sabatier, who is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Freedom, and founder of the personal finance website, Millennial Money, and co-founder of BankBonus.com. J.D., as I'm listening to the conversation we had before the break, I'm thinking of this idea of how we process things. And it sounds to me, whether we're talking about money burnout or creator burnout, When we're at the beginning of our journeys, we really aren't ready to process a lot of the things that we eventually will deal with. Mm. Is there any way around this kind of burnout cycle? Because I feel like there's no way you can be prepared when you started this journey. Like I'm thinking about when I discovered financial independence, there was no way that I knew that within a short period of time, I eventually wouldn't want to talk about money anymore. I don't know. I mean, that, that's a great question. And I don't have a great answer for you. I think being open, listening to what other people who are further along the journey, listening to what they have to say, like <laughs> this conversation here can prepare somebody who's at the start of the journey that, oh, it's very possible that I'll reach a place where I am burned out on thinking about money all the time or if you're starting a blog or a YouTube channel, maybe you'll get burned out on being uh, doing the creation constantly. But 
it's like anything when you're just starting out you have very little idea of what the big picture is you're only you only have a tiny little glimpse i think about like managing money itself when part of my story is i was really bad at managing money for a long long time and when i first started getting my act together I I was just focusing on the basics, right? Just getting my spending so that it was less than my earning. And that was my primary focus so that I couldn't even pay attention to things like investing. And at that time, to me, it seemed like getting out of debt was this amazing goal. And that's what all my attention was focused on. Now, almost 20 years later, And as a much older person, I realize that getting out of debt is the wrong goal. Pursuing financial independence is the wrong goal. These should not, these are outcomes. They should not be your goals. If you set up systems and processes that create a positive financial, what what do you want to call it? Cash flow, you will get out of debt. You will achieve financial independence eventually. So I've learned that it's more about the systems and processes and less about the outcomes. But when I was just starting out with money, I had no way of knowing that. And I was really focused on the outcomes instead. Yeah, I want to react to that. I think you know, burnout is somewhat inevitable early on in any creative journey as you're figuring out your limits. I think that means you're testing yourself. And You think early on? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, let's say early on a year in or a couple of years mm. in, I think we all get to the point where we you know, we're writing a ton of blog posts or creating a bunch of videos and, and and we burn out. We have that first burnout, right? It's like that first limit set. But for me, there's two things that have been extremely instrumental in creating sustainability as a creator. And the first one is picking your platform carefully. And I think today, you know, when you started blogging, you know, JD, it's like, the blog was the, you know, it was the, it was the primary medium on the internet with which, mm-hmm. you know, people were getting content, right? And as things have evolved, you know, we all think about like, you know, the TikTok creators of the day. There's so many platforms that you can be on that I think a lot of burnout is created because people, they start and they're on all these platforms and they're creating all this different content. And to JD's point about, sort of the judgment factor. It's one thing to like write a blog post and get comments and be judged. It's another thing to be judged on, you know, 10 different platforms simultaneously, you know, and I think there's a level there where because of the growth of, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk sort of hustle harder uh, model, it's like everyone feels like they have to be everywhere at all times, creating massive amounts of content. And that naturally is going to lead to burnout. So I think picking your platforms is very important. I think for me, you know, I don't participate on social media anymore because I only have so much time that I want to put that time into writing books, which, you know, really, if you spend a lot of time trying to write a good book, it is a competitive advantage because not many people are going to take the time to do it and try to do it well. And so, it's also one of the things that I really love doing. And so I want to spend my time, I'm going to create content, doing it on a platform that I love. And then the other piece is just the people you surround yourself with. So you're listening to Grant here, but behind Grant are probably 25 people 
that support me in some way. And whether it's my team at Penguin and my book editors and the marketing team at Penguin or my, you know, the, my business partners in MMG Media who run Millennial Money and Bank Bonus, or even, you know, the amazing editor who, you know, ghost writes my email after me having an hour conversation with her and then I get to edit it. So I'm not starting from square one. And so over the last seven years, I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing people and amazing creators. And the really, really good ones, I've found ways through, you know, making money to bring them onto my own team. And that eliminates a lot of the burnout because there's a co-creation component to mm -hmm. it, you mm -hmm. know, where they love what I do and I love what they do, that we can create something together in a way that's not fully dependent upon me. So I can write blog posts and I can write books and I can write email newsletters and do and lead the charge. But, you know, it's like I'm being held, you know, by 25 other people. And so that's important too. Early on, you can get video editors or podcast editors or editors or, you know, people who, who you can build around you to alleviate some of that burnout because you have those processes and, and those people in place. This is going to seem like, it, or it might seem like it's tangential, but I feel like it's related to this conversation. There's an article that I read about six months ago. It's on Substack. Uh, somebody's uh, Substack called the Prism. The name of the article is the perils of audience capture. If you Google the perils of audience capture, it's by a fellow calling himself Gerwinder. It's a really interesting article about content creators on the internet and not so much about the problems with getting negative feedback, but the problems with getting positive feedback. And Gerwinder says the perils of audience capture, this concept refers to when you're getting positive feedback for what you're doing. And so you begin chasing the positive feedback and all of a sudden you morph into something completely different than you started out as and something that's not true to yourself. The example in the, uh, the primary or the lead example in the article is about this kid named Nicholas Perry, who started this YouTube channel that just showed himself eating whatever he wanted to eat. And for whatever reason, he decided to start showcasing himself eating fast food and he got such positive reactions from these videos that he began to eat bigger and bigger fast food meals. And he went from being this 24 year old fit kid to now he's morbidly obese and he has all sorts of health problems because he started chasing what the audience wanted. And this is what the author of this article calls the perils of audience capture. And I think it's something that many creators deal with is when you allow yourself to be evaluated, whether it's from Google Analytics and stats or view numbers on YouTube or comments from your audience or likes on Facebook, you begin chasing those likes or, or those Google Analytics numbers. And it's easy to get lost in that instead of just being yourself and being who you are and doing what you should do. Can we talk a little bit about selling out for a second? I mean, this is something, this is something, it, it builds on that point, JD. You know, this yeah, is something that yeah, I thought very hard about before selling millennial money to the Motley Fool. And, you know, I wonder if, if you, I'm sure you thought about it, you know, before selling, you know, Get Rich Slowly to Quinn Street. I mean, I sold my site, you know, to the largest sort of investing, 
you know, newsletter or sort of stock picking service, which, you know, aligned with my brand, but wasn't super close. And I know Quinn Street, you know, put a bunch of credit cards on your site after, but you and I both had the opportunity to reacquire, you know, our sites and and work on them again. Um, I, yeah, I just want to talk about selling out for a second, because as a creator, there's an opportunity if you're creating a lot of value to exit, you can create to exit. And what I mean by that is I calculated it would take me like 14 years, you know, to make the money that I was going to get selling, you know, my website and going back to time is more valuable than money. There was a level of just irrationality in, in the acquisition offer that I couldn't not take. You know what I mean? It's like, there was always a price or at least there was for me to do that. And now having the website back, it's really fun because I can engage with it on a different terms. But I felt like I did sell out part of my audience, you know, in selling the website. And I was very open with them about that, but it's still, and the people who really knew me, right. They know that I like to make money. Like that's what it's about. It's like a website about making money. And so of course I was going to take the offer, but it really also upset a large number of people. And I think as a creator, it's really funny because the people who love you are going to stick around, but it's almost like I've had a couple different generations of readers as my content and as I've evolved. So there's not kind of like one stagnant audience, you know, your audience is also growing and changing. And this goes back to the point that JD made earlier, where it's like what JD's writing about on get rich slowly and who he is, is so radically different than when he started and the audience is different as well. And so I think that's a particular challenge where can you grow with your audience or are you able to continue to attract and engage people who can get value from their content, from your content, you know, as you grow and as you change? And that's really a challenge because when you have any website or any platform, it starts out being about one thing, but quickly the internet and life changes that it's, that it's hard. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that idea up. JD, how much do you owe to your platform or your audience versus to your own well-being? And I'll 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 broaden this also to the money conversation. How much do we owe to building a high net worth or getting to financial independence versus being happy regardless of our financial situation? Because I think they're really the same sides of the same question. Again, I think it's a great question and I don't have a great answer. For me, as Grant was talking about, when I sold Get Rich Slowly back in 2009, I did worry about selling out, but I also knew that I had to do it for my own mental health. Back then, the hugest motivator was doing what was right for me. And at the same time, I really stressed about what my audience would think. And the example I use, I can't use exact numbers due to non-disclosure agreements, but the initial offer for Get Rich Slowly was 30% more than what I eventually took, but they wanted me to stick around for three years. I couldn't do it. I, I was like, no, 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 I'm burned out. I need to walk away. So I took, th- well, whatever, however the math works out, 30% less, let's just say. I know that doesn't work. If you're going 30% up, you don't go 30% down. I said, no, no, I, I got to be able to walk away. But then I couldn't walk away. I felt this obligation to the reader. So I stuck around for three years and I worked for free. Basically, I stuck around just as long as the acquiring company had originally wanted me to, but I didn't get any money for it. That was a foolish decision, huh? Yeah, I felt this obligation to the readers. 
And honestly, that's after I bought Get Rich Slowly back, I'm, I've known for a couple of years that, again, that I'm trying to put a square peg into a round hole. I have changed and writing Get Rich Slowly as I used to is not right for me. It, it, it's not where I am anymore. And, but I've been unwilling to, I've been worried. I'm like, oh, people, they thought I sold out in the first place. I think I'll, I'm selling out again. I've been worried about like shifting directions because what will people think? And, uh, and yet I've known that's what I need to do. It, and again, this book, The Courage to Be Disliked, this is what finally, it was like the catalyst. It it gave me permission to say, no, it doesn't matter what people think. What's what's important is what I need for myself right now. And if that upsets some people, fine, they're going to be upset. Grant, how do we know when it's time to walk away? How do we know when it's the right decision? If you feel like you should walk away, then you should. Mm-hmm. I think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. When you feel stuck in your life, it means you are. And I think you should listen to that intuition. And then it often is, you know, you've set up systems or structures in your life that you can't just immediately walk away, right? You probably have some responsibility. So it takes some time to unravel. And through that process of unraveling, you know, you can check in with yourself about how it feels. And, and but set, set a deadline. I mean, you know, I think all of this is kind of intuition driven. And, you know, there, there is that trade-off though between money and time where JD just mentioned he needed to sell Get Rich Slowly for his own mental health. I needed to sell millennial money because it was just the irrational level of money. And I just felt like people were going to care less and less as millennials, you know, got older. So there's that sort of that decision. But if you're really a creator and you really want to say something, it will find its own form. And, you know, it's one of these things I learned, you know, very early on, you know, being such a fan of, you know, Jack Kerouac and other writers, you know, you got to spend some time living your life to have something to write about. And I Mm -hmm. think the same thing is true with content creation. I generally feel like most people create way too much content. Hmm. I think we're forced into releasing podcasts every week because other people do, we're forced into writing blog posts two to three times a week because that's what the Google you know, search algorithm favors. We create YouTube videos two to three times a week. And naturally, when you're driven by the algorithm, you're going to burn out. It's just inevitable because they're set up to make money. And at the core of making money is any, even when you're your own creator, is this alienation of labor. You know, if you just go back to Marx, where it's sort of disembodied, where you're 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 creating money from air by putting out content in the world. And that is a really, really exhausting proposition. So I would encourage anyone creating content, you know, if you're really inspired to start something, know that it's going to take probably you know two to two to three to four years to build an audience. And, and it's going to be you're doing that. It's going to be so much work. And as you're doing that, check in with yourself about whether or not it's worth it. And then once you get to maybe each one year anniversary of whatever you're creating, check in, decide, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to take a break? What am I actually getting from this beyond money? Because there's a ton of ways to make money today, more ways than ever to make money. And so just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. I think a lot of what we're talking about here too is being able to perceive the difference between extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation and trying to, when possible, 
do things that you're internally motivated to do and not be driven by outside feedback. It's always easier to work though. You know, you know, it's always easier to put out two or three videos a week on YouTube than it is to be uncomfortable and sit with your own thoughts. So you, you can, you can, you can, you can do that for a while, right. Until someone near you dies and then you're confronted with your mortality yes. or something happens in your life that you're sort of jarred into realizing the fragility of being, you can do that. You can distract yourself. But if you really want to grow and expand as a person, you have to have enough space for that to happen. And space meaning enough hours in the day to walk your dog or to have conversations with your partner or to sit in your hot tub or read a book. I mean, you have to have enough space. And I think one of the things I'll just, I want to leave with is, you know, I thought a lot about in my own life, how much time I spend creating content versus consuming content versus doing nothing. And I think there needs to be kind of a third, a third, a third balance between those things. And whenever any of them gets too overwhelming, if I'm just creating content, I burn out pretty quickly. If I don't have enough space just to, to do nothing, if I'm consuming too much content, I can, you can go down any rabbit hole forever if you want to. So I feel like it's important. It doesn't always work this way, but I think if you look at my time, how I spend it over a year, it'd be pretty balanced between a third, a third, a third, creating content, consuming content and doing nothing or doing nothing, meaning, you know, not consuming or not creating content. And when those things get out of whack, either way, you're going to have to make up for the time somewhere else, right? So I have a book due in three months. So I'm going to be writing pretty nonstop for the next three months. And it's going to be an unsustainable level of effort that I would not be able to continue throughout the entire year. So I know that I'm going to have to make up that time some other way. And it's probably going to be by taking the entire summer off and doing nothing. And so just understand that when you're taking energy from one thing, it's going to have to come from somewhere. And so figuring out what that balance is, and, and you can be in control of that. You don't have to let, you know, the desire for money or fame or frenetic creation, you know, drive that process. You, you, you know, you, you, your, your cup, if you're burnt out, you're burnt out, you're going to have to take some time off. How much time, you know, that's really up to you. But, but our intuition is very, very powerful. Going back to JD's point, the more time that you spend listening to yourself, the, the, the easier it is to, to hear your intuition and the stronger it becomes. Like you are your own guiding light. And so just listening to that and respecting it, the next time that your intuition tells you something, you're going to trust it more because it proved right the first time. And the more that you do that, the I think richer your life will become because you're being driven by a much deeper level of sort of connection to yourself and to the world and to the energy around you and less driven by the increasing anxiety and freneticism of the external world, which is always going to be chaotic and you know, negative stories and focusing on war and conflict because right. a lot of people want to be entertained. They don't want to grow as people. And that's, that's kind of the sad thing about all of this because um, you know, there's a lot of people that feel stuck and they don't know why and they don't have the language with which to get unstuck. And that's why I think we do a lot of the work that we do in the hopes of sharing you know, it with people who are a little bit earlier on in the journey than we are. 
So it's interesting hearing you talk about this balance grant between being between consuming, producing, and taking a break. Because I often think of this concept of margin and creating margin in your life. And margin is just this empty space where you might be walking the dog or sitting out in the yard, watching the birds, whatever it is. And I think those times are important to be built in continually in your life. You need to give yourself downtime because that's where it's like recharging the battery, essentially. But for me, and you you also talk about after you finish writing the book, you'll probably take the summer off. And to me, I recently uh, took a three-month sabbatical from Get Rich Solely from October. Well, after my mom died. So it was October, November, December. That's what actually helped me to realize and allow it helped me see that, oh, I need even more time to myself. I haven't been giving myself, I've been spending my time in unhealthy ways, I guess. When I have the free time, I haven't been using it to exercise, get fit, explore the other aspects of my personality. And so what I'm doing in 2023 is just taking, giving myself even more margin. The entire year is margin for me. It's this space to rejuvenate and to rediscover who I am at this stage in my life. I'll be 54 this year. It sounds morbid, but I started thinking about, well, you know, maybe I have 20 years, 30, if I'm lucky, what I want to do with that last, last couple of decades. Well, JD and Grant, I want to thank you for being on the show today. What I take from this conversation is that whether it comes to money or content creation or what have you, that we are continuously evolving. And part of that evolution is burnout. But the thing about it is if we can look at the different seasons of our lives and accept that as one of those seasons, we can listen to our intuition. We can let go of improvement or even incremental gain for the moment and sit with being where we need to be, realizing that we are everything we need to be and have everything we need to have in that moment until our Intuition tells us it's time to start again. Mm-hmm. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can get in contact with you if they'd like to. JD, first and foremost, what's up next with you and how can people reach out? That's the big question, isn't it? What's <laughs> up next? Well, I'm going to spend 2023, just as I mentioned a moment ago, just exploring myself. I'm going to be taking some art classes. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's next. And that's okay. I'm going to watch a lot of movies, as Grant hinted at. And if people want to reach me, you know, you can still leave a comment at Get Rich Soleil. I'll see it. Or or you can always uh, send me an email at jd at jdroth.com. And Grant, what is up next in your life and how can people reach out? Yeah, so I'm deep in, in writing the follow-up to financial freedom. It's called Five Years to Five Million, Proven Paths to a Life You Love. It's an entrepreneurship book. I'm deep in writing it and I'm in a very creative period. So if you want to learn what I'm thinking, subscribe to the Millennial Money newsletter. It drops every two weeks, and I'm bringing the fire, hold nothing back on that. I feel very, very good about that newsletter and the content that's there. It's completely original. It's, yeah, I'm excited to be back writing again in that format. So check out the Millennial Money newsletter every two weeks. Drop some, some, some bombs in your, in your inbox and hope it adds some value to your life. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank J.D. Roth and Grant Sabatier. That's a wrap. 
Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Awesome. As you guys know, I leave things running just for a few minutes so we can chat. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Got some good riding the energy wave there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, the challenge of this was not to make it too much insider baseball as we are creators only talking about creation. Right. But I really see it as one in the same conversation. Even if you're actually just interested only in the money side, we're all kind of micro creators anyway. I mean, because of Facebook, because of being part of these Facebook groups, because of Twitter, because of Instagram, we're really putting out a lot of our lives there. Um, and so I think there's a huge amount of overlap in those conversations. Absolutely. And for me, I talk about walking away from Get Rich slowly, and that's true in a general sense, but I'm also, or maybe it's a specific sense, the question I'm really asking myself is how much do I want to be online or even on computers at all? And that, that's tough because I've spent 20, 25, 30 years wedded to the internet. I've had a blog since 1997 and it's like, do I really stop doing that? And the answer right now is no, I don't stop doing that. But I just want to, I want, instead of being computer and internet first, I want this to be secondary or tertiary. Yeah, I feel the yeah. need for that decreases slightly as I have more friends like you guys who I end up having like regular Zoom talks with. Yes. And I, I will say for me, that quenches some of that, like I need to be on social media because now it's like, oh, no, no, no. I actually have friends who I can have these kind of longer conversations with. You were talking about talking to Mindy before you talked to us. I mean, it's that idea yeah. that I can get on Zoom and, and spend some time with people. But, and and after, as soon as we finish this conversation, I'm going to go down and do yoga because I'm doing a 30 month or 30 day yoga challenge with Bianca and Marla. Um, I see they're texting right now. Bianca, like, Bianca, oh, just, Bianca, but, Bianca, Bianca. Yeah. Well, how's she doing? Oh my gosh. Uh, she's doing good. She's doing good. That's cool. She's traveling around. I don't know what, I don't know exactly. I think she's being a bum surfing couches. Is that what you're doing, Bianca? If you're listening to this. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Tell Bianca I say hello. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.